Well, good morning, good morning. Uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. One, uh, just as you're turning there, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you or on the screen. We'll have the uh, verses up there. Just a couple little things before we uh, jump into Romans chapter uh, 5 this morning. Is this is going to be our last Romans uh, sermon uh, for a few weeks. Uh, everyone say, aww. Okay, um, and uh, I know you're sad, uh, but we're going to leave Romans behind for about six weeks. We're going to do a, a Lent series, and we're going to be doing uh, a Lent series. Lent is the six Sundays leading up to Easter Sunday, which and Resurrection Sunday, which is kind of crazy to think like Easter's coming, uh, the tomb is empty. Anybody excited about that? I'm excited. Um, and, and Easter just doesn't get the love that Christmas does. I don't know. It's kind of sad. Um, but anyway, we'll talk about that later. Um, but we're going to be doing a series on the life of Jesus, which sounds like that's not very profound. Don't we talk about Jesus all the time? But we're going to look at specifically the life in which Jesus lived and the practices and habits that he had that we are to have in our lives as well. Like, how did he uh, live his life before God? How did he serve people? How did he love his enemy? And all these kinds of things. So we're going to be looking specifically at the life of Jesus and how to kind of cultivate a friendship with God, kind of a balanced friendship with God, and that'll all make sense uh, starting next week. Um, but also what I did with that whoop, we did with that series was I put together a little, we call it a mini curriculum, if you will, that the city groups are going to be using as questions and also to kind of practice some of these practices, things like prayer and fasting and different kinds of things. Um, but also, I'm going to make that available for any individual or family that wants to use it. So if you want to use it around maybe the dinner table uh, during uh, during the week and, and kind of work through some of the scriptures or the questions, or you want to do it with a friend or individually, uh, that'll be available to you. So we'll let you know about that next week. You can grab probably a hard copy. We'll also put it on the CCB. Uh, so I just want to let you know uh, of that. So we'll do that for six weeks, and then we'll finish up our Roman series in uh, May, May, uh, April, middle of April and May. We'll go up to Romans 8, the greatest chapter in the Bible, and, uh, and then do chapter 12 and be done, and then it'll be summer. So summer's coming, all right? Couldn't come quicker. All right, uh, so Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we're going to finish up our little uh, series in Romans. Uh, we're going to read verses 12 to 21. Romans 5, 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come before your word. Um, we know that you're a speaking God, a communicating God, and one of the primary ways you do that is through your scriptures.
And so we pray you'd open our hearts, our minds to hear and receive by the Holy Spirit. And God, as we, we look at a pretty intense group of verses, we would, I pray we'd see just the, the radical depravity and the depths of our own sin, but we'd also see the amazing, sweet grace of Jesus that has come to us. Because without, without it, we all would be hopeless. Without it, we might as well just pack it up and leave. But you are a gracious, merciful God that never gives up on his people. And so we thank you for that. So teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was uh, late in high school, I, uh, I became a Christian. Um, about my, in between my junior and senior year of, of high school, I had kind of a radical meeting of the, of the Lord, if you will. And one of the great gifts that God, I think, gave me as I became a, a new believer in, uh, at the end of, of high school, early college, was just this gift of understanding why the world is the way it is. Or I could say another way, uh, it gave me a gift of understanding why I am the way that, that I am. That, that I was a broken, sinful person, that there's evil out in the world. And I, I, and I needed language, I needed a, 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 some way to kind of put it all together. And so when I became a Christian, as God began to kind of open the scriptures to me and the, the, and the story of the universe to me, if you, you will, one of the great gifts was to realize, yeah, there's a thing called sin and it's real and it's wreaking havoc in every way, shape, inform. And I still think about those days, and I still think about even 20 plus years later, is that that what's great about the scriptures is that it gives us a picture, it gives us a vision for understanding God, obviously, but, but also to understanding ourselves in light of that, and understanding what's gone wrong in the world, and understanding how God is kind of putting things back together. Because without that, without the revealed will of God, how do we ever know what is really going on? And so we would just kind of make it up, and that's kind of what we do, right, in our culture. It's just like, well, this is the problem, and we just need more education and more laws and more this and more that. And yet we don't get to the, the heart of things. We don't get to the foundation uh, of things. And so as we kind of end the last part of Romans chapter 5, what we're beginning to see is that Paul is actually summarizing what has really gone wrong in the universe and what has gone wrong with us and how Jesus is making all things New. It, it, it's really the summary of justification from Paul's argument all the way from chapter 1 to chapter 5, if you've, you've been following around, this idea that, that we're justified by faith, that we stand right before God by faith, not by anything we could do, not by morality, not by being religious, but it's God's grace by faith, and this righteousness comes to us. It's Jesus' perfect moral record, a record that you and I could never pull off, that you and I break commands all day long without even trying, and yet Jesus, in his perfection, was the perfect sacrifice for us. So by faith, we now receive his righteousness, his perfect record. It's as if we never even sinned, and that's why we're called saints in the scriptures, not because we're Mother Teresa, but because we're holy in the sight of God because of Jesus' righteousness. And so Paul's going to kind of give us a summary uh, this morning uh, about why this justification had to come and what is wrong with the world and what is wrong with us. And so I want to just spend a few moments here uh, this morning and, and just look at that question, why justification had to come. And that's where Paul's kind of taking us this morning. And I love, Paul is very difficult uh, to read. Any amens? 
Uh, you might have just, we might have just read that, those verses just now and you're just like, I don't know what's going on. Yes, that is Paul. Even Peter in the Bible says, yeah, Paul's really hard to understand. And Peter was an apostle, so we're all on good ground here. Um, but, but Paul gives us a little gift here this morning where um, the passage is actually broken down into three paragraphs, like three big ideas. And I love when, when the scriptures do that because it makes it easy for me as a preacher and a teacher to kind of understand his, his train of thought. And so we're going to follow his kind of three big ideas to understand why justification had to come. And so first we're going to look at how Adam and Christ are introduced. We're going to look at how Adam and Christ are contrasted. And we're going to also talk about how Adam and Christ uh, need to be considered. And this is based on what Paul is, is, is showing us here. So let's look at that together. Romans 5 verse 12. Notice what it says here in, the, in 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Like right there, the, what I was saying earlier about giving us some framework for understanding why we are the way we are, why the world is broken, and why there's evil in the world, and why, why there's abuse, and why there's cancer, and why things don't function as they should. What Paul gives us is a kind of a three-stage chain reaction of why human history up until the time of Christ is the way that it is. First, sin enters the world through one man, Adam. We'll get to that in a minute. The second, death enters the world because of sin, as a penalty for sin. That's why there is death. Death is not natural, right? So we'll hear things in, all the time. It's just a natural part of life. Actually, no, it's not. It's because of sin is in the world. Death was never God's plan. In, in, in the Garden of Eden, God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and death was not part of the plan. It wasn't until they sinned that death came into play. We were always designed and created to be with God forever. So it's not a natural thing. It's not just, well, that's just what happens. No, we, we should mourn over that. We'll get to that in just a moment. But also, thirdly, death spreads to all human beings because all have sinned. No one can escape it. Right? Two things are certain in life. Death and what? Yeah. I don't know which is worse, but uh, the tax man is coming soon. So, uh, but, but the reality is no one has been able to escape it, right? I mean, I go down to the vitamin shop or shoppy, just depending how pretentious you are, and I'm loading my body with all kinds of vitamins. I'm trying to just keep this thing going as long as I can, but the, the reality is that it is going down and it is decaying all the time. Just ask my young son. I went to a roller skating party yesterday. Um, I, I mean, I'm sore in places I shouldn't be sore. This, this body is decaying, and there's no way I can reverse that, and no one can try. It doesn't matter how, how smart you know, Jeff Bezos is. It doesn't matter. It's inescapable for all of us because of, of sin. And so, so, so Paul very, very uh, uniquely gives us this nice summary right at the beginning and introduces us to, this, to Adam, uh, our first parent. And he says, you know, there's, there's an entrance of sin, there's an entrance of death, and the spread of death is because of sin, and it's for everyone. It's the thing we can't escape. Now, Paul says we've all sinned. Now, that, that's interesting because, you know, in the, in the Greek, this word sinned here is actually in the aorist, aorist tense, which I know you guys knew that in the Greek. Um, but it means it's a single past action. I got really excited about the aorist tense this week. Because it's a single past action. So Paul is saying that the entire human race sinned in one single past action. Through Adam. That it wasn't just that we sin and do bad things, and that's obvious, but it was by 
Adam's disobedience in the garden when God said, hey, I want you to live and thrive with me and thrive with Eve and enjoy my creation and be in harmony with me, but I just have one command, just don't eat from this one tree, that's all I ask. And then in typical male fashion, when God confronts him about eating from the tree, he says, hey, this woman you gave me, yeah, it was her fault, right? He starts blaming her. And that's where, you know, blame is such a, a, a reality of sin, isn't it? It's so easy to blame everyone else. It's not me. It's not my problem. I'm not the problem around here. It's, it's her. It's him. It's my situation. It's my community. It's the way I grew up, whatever it is. And yet, yet all of us sin by one person's action. We are all guilty because of Adam, our first parent. I, I, I like what William Barclay, he was a, a Bible teacher a long time ago, and a scholar, he says, if, if we are to give the aorist tense its full value here, and in this argument we must do so, the more precise meaning will be that sin and death entered into the world because all men were guilty of one act of sin. One act of, of, of sin. So, it's not that we sin like Adam. Yes, we do. But because we were all in Adam, we all have sin. We're all part of his lineage. We're all part of his family. Now, Paul is introducing this point. If you go to verse 13 and 14, he, he kind of illustrates this, and he says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who has come. And so what, what, what Paul is saying here is that even before Adam, or even before Moses, so if you, if you understand the scriptures, or if you read the Old Testament at all, is we'd be happy between Adam and Moses, there is no formal law, okay? You remember in, in Mount Sinai, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, right? You've all seen the movie, uh, Prince of Egypt, okay? Um, and, and so, uh, so he, gives the God, he gives Moses the Ten Commandments and says, these Ten Commandments are going to shape the life of Israel and your community, right? But before that, we don't really have any formal law. So what Paul is saying here is, though, but people still sinned and people were still guilty before Moses. Well, how do we know that? Well, Paul even talks about that in chapter 2, if you remember this a few weeks ago. In Romans chapter 2, I know you all do. Verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Now here it is, verse 15. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even accuse them. What Paul is saying is that even before the law, the law is written on every human heart. He says that in in, in Romans chapter 1. We are without excuse. Even though the knowledge of God has been revealed to us, we suppress the truth. That nobody's without excuse. There's a sense of there's a, a greater divine in the universe. There's a sense that there's something more going on. And so we're, we all know deep down right and wrong, right? Those of you that have children, you don't have to teach them right and wrong. They know almost intuitively when they're on the playground and, and Billy throws down Larry, and no one names their kids Billy. Well, some do. Larry's, I'm trying to get some of the old school names back in. Um, but, but Billy and Larry, when, when Larry gets thrown down, what does the kid say? That's not fair. That's not right. You don't have to teach them that. Right? They, can, they can look with their own eyes. We can, we can look around in our world and know when things are right or wrong. There's just a deep 
impulse in us that knows that the law is written on our hearts. So what Paul is arguing is that Adam sinned and we're all guilty. We all live under that reality that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have refused to praise God, to thank God, to worship God. And we can also know that because death is a reality for all of us. Doesn't that prove the point? That if death is a result of sin, well, we know death is all over the place, right? I mean, I went to a funeral a few weeks ago. I've, I've done you know, dozens of funerals. I mean, there's, there, there's all these, th- these realities that every time I stand and I have to address someone that's lost a loved one, it's the reality of this is not natural. This is a result of sin. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And I think deep down in our bones, we, we, all, we all know that. Now, when I say that all have sinned, here, here's where I'm feeling pushback in this room. I already, I already can feel it. And, and here's why. Because this idea that somehow someone else's sin is now my problem kind of pushes on us. And here's why it pushes on you on one level. is because all of us are individual Westerners. All right? This idea of human solidarity, we have no context for that. And so what I mean is, in other cultures... Um, and, and let me just say it honestly, is outside of predominantly white culture. So if you look at, you know, Asian cultures, African-American cultures, other cultures, other than typical Caucasian cultures, is this idea of human solidarity. And here's what this means. It means that when I fail, we all fail. When I rejoice, we all rejoice. When I'm part of this community, it doesn't, it's not just about me and my own actions. It's us together knowing that my actions affect the entire clan, the entire family, the entire community. So this idea of just me and I'm an island and I'm just kind of interconnected, but I essentially just do my own thing is very foreign to other cultures and it's also very foreign to the scriptures. And so Adam becomes a representative for us, And that's how the Bible approaches humanity, that we're all part of tribes and clans and families. That's why we baptize children, because we're part of a bigger family. It's not just us and our own decisions, right? So baptism just becomes about me and confessing faith, and there's no one else around. It's just me, right? But, but we're part of a family of, of families. And so when you suffer, I suffer, right? When you experience joy, I should experience joy, because we're all connected together. Now, this is a, a fancy uh, theological and philosophical word called, word called federal headship. I know you, all of you know what that is. Um, but, but this idea of federal headship is this idea, federal means covenant. And so a federal head is a person who represents a covenantal relationship. It's someone who stands in for someone else. What God does is he creates Adam to stand in as a representative for humanity, right? Jesus Christ is also the one who stands in as a representative for humanity. This is what we call a federal head. But again, because we're very individualistic and very, you know, just me and my actions, the idea that all have sinned because of one other dude's sin, that kind of pushes us, doesn't it? Like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 I didn't do it, right? It's not my fault. But this is what the scriptures are doing, is saying that because one sinned, all have sinned. And God, in his perfect creation, places Adam to be that perfect representative for us. And of course, we know he failed, right? But Paul's argument in Romans is, but there's someone else who didn't fail. His name is Jesus. 
the one who kept the law, the one who was in perfect communion with God, the one who said, I will do anything you ask of, of me, God. I want to glorify you in all things. The one who loved and forgave and blessed even his, his enemies. And so, so, so I know I feel the, the tension of that, this idea that, man, how, how could one guy, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago sin, and now I'm a sinner, and now I'm guilty of that. But, but here's the reality, is that it would be so easy for us to say, yeah, but if I was a representative, that wouldn't have happened. Right? You feel that self-righteousness rising up in you? None of us can say that, honestly, right? I, I love that argument. Hey, Ryan, if it was me, I would have listened to God. I would have never ate that fruit. Really? Do you know you? You just found more creative ways to break the commands. Right? And, and some will say, well, Ryan, if I was walking with Jesus like his disciples, I would have got it. I would have been all in. Like, like when Jesus was on the cross, I wouldn't have bailed on him. That Peter, he just, man... He missed it, really? Do you know you? It's easy for us to say, if God would have had a better representative, we'd all be in a better place. And if that representative was me, <laughs> right? That's insane. And that's what the good news of the gospel is, is because Jesus is our perfect representative. He didn't fail humanity. He would never fail humanity. He had to represent, represent us because we couldn't represent ourselves. That, that, that our sin was going to lead to death, and it did. And, and in verse 18, one disobeyed and one obeyed. One, one made us justified and righteous, and one led us to death. So whose team you want to be on? There's really just two humanities in the universe, right? There's the Adam humanity, if we're still in Adam, when we, don't, we aren't trusting Christ yet. And there's those that are saying, you know what? I need a better representative than myself. Those who are trusting in Christ. That a new righteousness has come, a new justification has come, someone who could perfectly stand in the gap for me. And isn't there something about our own souls that all of us are looking for that representative? Right? We're in, I won't make this political, don't worry. But, but I think deep down in our bones, we're always looking for that representative, that candidate that's going to represent us perfectly and give us everything that we need. And we've been doing it for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. In the Old Testament, Israel, you know, they were tired of God being their king. So, they said, so God said, hey, you want to have a human king? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Let, let's do that. And how well did that go? Terribly wrong. And God in his kindness said, okay, here you go. See how that goes. Right? And so we've been living east of Eden our whole lives saying, if there's just a representative, if there's someone that could just stand in the gap for me, if there's someone that could forgive me, that could, could love me, if, if there's someone that could, could be everything that I need them to be, made, where is that person? Where, where are they? Right? We, we've done that looking for a spouse. We've done that um, looking for friends. Right? I just need that, that one, that person that just gets me. And yet Jesus arrives and says, I'm the one who gets everybody. And I know your true predicament. And I know what you need even more than you know what you need. And so Paul is introducing us to Adam in Christ and this idea of headship, this idea of solidarity that one represented us and failed and one represented us and succeeded in every way. And that's where Adam and Christ are contrasted. That, that little second, if you look at the second uh, paragraph there in, in chapter 5, but the free gift, verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, 
Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift of following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man of Jesus Christ. And so what, what, what Paul does here, contrasting Adam and Christ, is he really has, there's kind of like three little things kind of woven in there. And the first little difference here, and it's not little, it's actually massive, he says that the motivation was different of their two deeds or their two actions. So Adam's deeds are called a trespass. And what, what's a trespass? Well, biblically we understand that as it's a conscious sin. He's like he was fully aware that he was sinning, Right? And so, so his, his motivation for the deed was actually to trespass, to sin, to not do what God commanded him to do. But Jesus' deed, or his action, was a free gift of, grade, of grace. Excuse me. So you could say, you know, Adam's deed was selfish and an act of treason by breaking the law. Well, Jesus' action was a deed of obedience and righteous, righteousness fulfilling the law. So Adam was bent on, his motivation was to break God's commands, and Jesus' motivation, and the only thing he could do was to follow and listen to his father and keep the commands perfectly, to fulfill the law. That's why a lot of traditions will, will talk about Jesus representing Israel, being uh, the Israel that, that they could never be. Because in the Old Testament, Israel just continues to fall and fail, even though God makes all these promises and says, listen to my commands, be my people, do what I, I say, and they just keep falling, and they keep disobeying, and they keep worshiping idols, and then Jesus becomes Israel's representative to say, I'm going to keep the commands in every way, that you failed in every way, yet I've come to do this in righteousness and to give you a righteousness that you couldn't do on your own. So there's a, there's a motivation that was different, but there's also, a, I think the results of the deed are different between Adam and Christ. Because in, in Adam, we see that the deeds resulted in death. <laughs> but Christ, he compares that, is, is his actually results in life, eternal life. Adam's deeds brought condemnation, we see that in verse 16, but, but Christ brought justification. Adam's sin, death reigns, but in Christ, life reigns. You see what, what Paul's kind of playing with here? Now, Paul's a Jewish man. He, he's so familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. He knows it backwards and forwards. What he's hinting at is, this is just a reversal of the garden. He's saying, in the garden, Adam and Eve had it perfect. They had perfect communion with God, with creation, with, with everything, gave them all kinds of freedom just to go and be and enjoy God and, and, and name the animals, name the plants, you know, have this perfect harmony and this, this idyllic garden. And yet, when sin comes, death comes, and suffering comes, and chaos comes, and then Jesus comes to be the new Adam, if you will, to, to live out in, on earth in bodily flesh, to, to live in this garden that God has created, but now he's going to listen and follow God's commands in every way and to bring life to everything that he touches. Isn't it interesting? That's really what Jesus' ministry was all about. It was about healing, about forgiving, about loving your enemy, about taking the people that, that, that had been forgotten in culture and, and giving them a hope and a future by get, preaching the kingdom of God and salvation and saying death and sin don't have the last say anymore. Jesus was all about life and all about grace and all about love. The opposite of what sin and Adam's about, right? 
this other kingdom, it's all about death and chaos and evil and about myself. So the results of Adam's deeds are different and Jesus' deeds are, are different. And then third, there's also the, the power of the two are very different. I think the power and the scope of Christ's work is so far greater than Adam's. Now, why do I say that? Did you catch this little phrase that Paul does a couple times in 15 and 17? He says, But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Then in verse 17, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. Paul's just doing a compare and contrast. He's saying, yeah, Adam, he screwed it up. <laughs> Made a mess of things, right? We're, we're recipients of that, right? We're, we're part of that family, that sin and death and evil and all that, all that kind of stuff. But he says, look how much more Jesus accomplished. Look how much more his life accomplished. Look how much more his death accomplished. Look how much more his resurrection accomplished. Look, even though death was there and even though sin is there, it doesn't have the last say because he walked out of the tomb and we're going to celebrate that in six weeks. Are you excited about that? Okay, two of you are really excited. Okay, let's, let's work on that in the next six weeks. I pray for your heart and your soul. But, but the reality is that, that there's so much better. There's so much more grace there. There's so much more life there because we love to be cynical. And we love to complain and we love to say, well, there's just no hope and there's not hope for me. And yet Paul is making this strong argument to say, I want you to know the power and the scope of Christ's work is so much better and so much greater and can never be undone. Stop acting as, as if that's the last say. Stop acting as if sin and death and suffering is the last say. It's not, because we have a Savior who walked out of the tomb, who said, no death, no sin, no hell, no enemy. You don't have the last say. And if we are in Christ, Paul would even say, you're already resurrected with him. By his death and resurrection, you're already united to him. You already are participating in the resurrected life. You're already seated in the heavenly places. That's your place already, now. Not just in some future where there'll be no more sin and no more tears and no more death and no more pain and no more broken bodies and no more divorce and no more abuse and no more wars and no more, you know, I don't know, the world's getting warmer apparently. You know, everything will be made new. And so the power of these actions are beyond even our imagination because I think when you think about justification, a lot of times here's what happens. We think about justification and they go, oh, that's great. Like God is gracious, God is love, I believe, free gift, right? But do you understand how grace works? Grace is like a pump and it just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. It's not just a one-time transaction. Oh, I got the grace of God in my life. It's actually as we understand it, as we trust him, as we look to him to know that sin doesn't have the last say and doesn't have the power that it once had and death doesn't have the last say, that I'm going to live with him now and forever, that, that, that as we, we kind of gaze at that and marvel at that and mem- uh, meditate on that and walk in God's ways, this grace keeps coming towards us more and more and more. This is what Paul's saying. This grace abounds more and more and more. It just keeps flowing. It's a little bit what Andy talked about last week, right? This love is showered down. It's not just like a nice little uh, uh, sprinkle, right? Because your shower head has, you know, calcium and, and is blocked. Like, oh, jeez, come on. 
It's this, this waterfall of God's grace, this waterfall of God's love is, is available and for us in our lives, each and every day, each and every moment. Because of what Christ has accomplished, he doesn't just give us grace and stop, he just keeps pouring it out. Pouring it out. And everything and everyone that believes and trusts him. I love what John Stott, the uh, former Bible teacher, pastor, um, really helpful on understanding some of these, these texts. He says, So then, whether we are condemned or justified, whether we are spiritually alive or dead, depends on which humanity we belong to. Whether we still belong to the old humanity initiated by Adam or to the new humanity initiated by Christ. And that's why you and I need to consider Adam and Christ. Do we want to live in the old Adam of, of death and decay and suffering and loss? Or do we want to live in the new Adam in Christ in a new kingdom where there's grace and there's hope and there's salvation and there's forgiveness and there's life? And, and I think, and I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, is that when we talk about eternal life, I think sometimes we always think of just being whisked away someday to heaven. But eternal life always in the scriptures meant a quality of a life now that will continue on forever. That when we believe in Christ, when he opens our hearts to believe and trust in him, that eternal life comes to us now. And it's a new quality of life. We see everything differently. Like I said at the beginning of my sermon, I began to see that the problem in me is not somewhere out there. It's right in my own heart. That the problem I see, problems I see in the world isn't, isn't just, well, it's those people who do those things, but it's just a manifestation of individual sinful hearts that are just living out of their, their nature. And so that's the gift. Do I want to live that, or do I want to live in grace and hope and freedom? So Adam and Christ considered. Paul gives, gives one last comparison here, um, and, and I think this is interesting because he talks about the law. <clears throat> And this is very eye-opening for understanding Christ and his work and what, what he, he did. If you, you, you caught that in verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our, our Lord. And, and so, so what, what the law w was always meant to do is that you and I know, deep in our bones, none of us can keep the commands of God perfectly, right? Any amens to that, right? Um, if you think you can, just talk to me after. We'll make sure you know you can't. Um, and, and so the, the commands, but they, they serve a different purpose. It's one, it's to show us how to love God well, the, the commands are, are for that, of course. But they also, Paul would say that time and again in Romans and Galatians and other places, that the law was always a pointer to show us the need of God's grace. That, that, that someone had to come along to fulfill this, the commands of God and laws of God because we couldn't do it ourselves. And so what, what Paul's arguing in verse, verse 20 is that now that the law came in to increase the trespass, to so show how nasty it is and how great and deep it is and how death had come through that as well, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so without seeing the sin and without seeing that we can't, we all fall short of the glory of God, we'll never be able to see the other side, which is the grace and mercy of God. That if you don't understand how far you've fallen, you don't understand how broken you are and how jacked up the world is, grace is going to mean nothing to you. It's going to be tiny and insignificant. That you're even going to look at the cross and see Jesus dying on the cross and going like, ah, that's fine, whatever. 
It's not going to thrill you. It's not going to change your heart to say, he did that for us, that he had to be that for us. He had to be our representative. There's nothing that I could do in and of myself. I needed someone else to come and rescue me. Years ago, um, when I used to live by the ocean, I'm still praying for that, um, that the ocean would move this way. Uh, maybe with global warming, I think I heard like the ocean might come this way. So uh, anyway, um, that's just, that, sorry. Um, but, uh, but, but I used to go surfing, and, and, and I, would, I would get out in the ocean, um, and they have these things called rip tides and rip currents, and they're really terrifying because you can't really see them, and they're not very obvious, but you'd be out there, and all of a sudden you kind of feel the water just kind of pushing you one way, and you could be, you know, your stuff could be about here, and then two minutes later, 100 yards, you're down the beach, right? And one time I got, I got caught in a, um, in a rip, t- rip current, and I, I found myself almost past the pier, uh, in the Pacific Ocean, this one part of, of California where I lived. And it was really terrifying because you don't want to get smashed into the, into the pier. That's not a good thing. Um, and, and I remember, uh, uh, this is actually a shot to your ego because I was a, a pretty good swimmer and, and I surfed and things. Uh, but the lifeguard had to jump in and save me. Um, and he throws one of these, um, you've seen Baywatch, right? Um, he throws one of these, these little buoy things. And this is going to save me, right? I'm just like, really? Are we doing this? And, you know, a crowd has, like, gathered on the pier, and they're, like, watching this, this go down before I, like, smash my head into the, 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 uh, the pier, right? And so I, I grab on to this thing, and, you know, again, my shot, I mean, I'm, it's fine. I'm like, but, you know, I'm down, head in shame. Just like, oh, my gosh, there's probably a girl that's cute, and I, no, I just ruined that. And, you know, my life's down the tubes. And he, he pulls me in into shore, um, and I, I didn't have this moment at that moment. I just was kind of like, okay, I'm glad to be alive. But, but I remember years later thinking about that moment in my life. And I thought, that's exactly what Jesus does for us. The, the only way I could get out of that water was if someone came and found me. I didn't ask for it. I didn't know what to do. But, but there, was a, there had to be someone that came and showed me his grace and showed me his love and said, I want to show you even what's wrong with you. And I'm going to throw out that buoy and you just grab on. Just trust me. And see, that's what the gospel is. We, we don't even know what we need saving from half the time. We, we don't know how deep it's gone, but the, the deeper it gets in us, the more we understand it, the, the more our hearts are thrilled with this good news of grace and love and mercy. That we are recipients, we're trophies of this grace. It was unearned, un, undeserved. And that's, that's the, the, why Paul is, is wanting us to consider Adam and Christ in the two ways uh, of life. Because, because Jesus has come to, to, to ratify death, to ratify sin by his death on the cross. That he would offer us eternal life here and now. Here and now. Now, as we land, land the plane this morning, there, there, there is one thing I, w- I want to say, and this is kind of a, something to consider or um, maybe an implication, if you will. Um, years ago, uh, a second century church father named Tertullian, I know you uh, read him this morning, um, he, he said, and when we talk about justification, all this justification talk and, and righteousness talk, he says there's two thieves uh, that kind of rob us of understanding what justification uh, really is and the power that it is. Um, and, and he said it this way, he said, one is, is that God is holy, and our sins require that we be punished. That, that's the requirement of a holy God. That's God staying true to his nature and to his, his character. But, but the gospel says that you are more sinful than you'd ever dare to believe. Um, and, and this is a little bit what, what Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, says. He says, to forget this leads to the first thief, which is license and permissiveness. Some would call it liberalism. In other words, 
we don't really think the problem in our world or in us is sin, which is something else, right? Maybe it's, I just need a better home life, or I need better education, or I need, you know, whatever it may be. And, and so if we don't understand that God is holy and that our sin must be punished, it can li- lead to just going, sin's, it's fine, just do whatever you need to do. It, it doesn't really, really matter. But the other thief that's on the other side of that is to, to realize, is to forget that, th- that this could also lead to legalism and moralism. Which, which, also, which means that, that God is gracious. So in Christ, he dealt with our sins. And so the gospel say you're more accepted, more loved in Christ, more than you ever dared believe. You and I have to live with both of these tensions. And here's why we have to live with both of these tensions. Because if you eliminate one of them, you're going to eliminate the power of the gospel in your life and the joy that God offers you in Jesus. Because if you don't see your own sin, you don't think that, that that's the true problem, that's, that's where I've fallen short, that's, that's what's wrong with me, what's wrong with you, man. If you don't see that, the gospel will never thrill your heart. It will never change you. It can't. Because you don't see the implications of the cross. You don't see what Jesus had to go through to, to secure us, to bring us back into his family. Now the other side of that, and this is just as dangerous, church, hear me out, is that you're all about the sin. And you've forgotten about the grace and the love of Jesus, that he did something about it. So we walk around condemning and judging and and making sure everybody knows they're a sinner, but there's no grace and love, the same grace and love that's been extended to you. We have to live in these two tensions. Because we'll either just license, just do whatever we want to do, it doesn't really matter, or it's just love, 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 you know, just sprinkle dust over here, right? Or we just, we become a moralist, or we become a legalist, or we become, a, you know, liberal whatever. Some people use that, that term, or just kind of anything goes. But my prayer for us, New City, is that if we can live in the tension of both of these things, your heart will be transformed in ways that you could never imagine. When you begin to see more and more what Paul just talked about in, in Romans 5, that evil and sin and death is a re- result of what, what, what happened to Adam, and we're part of that family. And it's not until we receive Christ that we can enter into a new life, an eternal life of grace and hope and salvation and joy. And, and, and I think it's a daily habit. It's something we look at constantly, that even when we fall short of God's commands, if we understand the cross, we don't have to run from him. We can run to him. We can run to his throne of grace. That it's not about a, a self-help program. It's not seven steps to a better you and life with Jesus. But by his grace, we can still confess and we can still run to his throne because the, 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 the cross has already outed us. And then also what happens as we consider this and as this gets deeper in our bones and souls is that you and I become more gracious and loving people is that we can engage our neighbors and our families and our loved ones and our coworkers, and we can see them in the way that God sees us. As men and women who've been redeemed by grace, that all we have is a gift. So how can I go and pummel other people for not seeing things the way I see them? It makes us patient and free like Jesus, how patient and free he was. Wasn't he just the most free person in the world? I love the way Jesus, he, he never um, like jumped on people. You remember the woman at the well? 
and he's engaging this woman. He's just asking her all these questions. And she's kind of confused, like, who are you? Where's your bucket? And he's like, well, the, the, bucket, the water I have, it, you know, it, it's living water. And she's just like, okay, you're weird. And, uh, and then he just keeps engaging her, engaging her, and, and says, well, I, I should go tell my, my husband about this. And he's kind of like, well, that's not your husband, is it? Actually, I've had five husbands, and that one's not yours either. But he doesn't, he doesn't just leave her there. He says, actually, I'm offering you hope here, living water here. Right? He doesn't pummel her. Just graciously loving her. He says, the invitation's on the table, living water. You can, you can go be with that guy and do whatever, but, but I have some living water here. And then she goes and becomes one of the best evangelists in the scriptures. Tells the whole village. Right? That's what happens. When you and I encounter this grace, the natural default mode and the response is always, who can I tell? <laughs> right? Who can I tell? This is amazing. This is amazing. Like, look, look what he's done. He's like jumped in with a buoy and he saved me. Like, he, he's given me new life, eternal life right here and right now. Who, who can I tell? Who, you know, and I think the, the best place to start is just whoever's around you. Right? I mean, in your home, right? In your, whoever's in your life, right? Whatever. It's just like as this thrills us more, we just go, I just got to tell you about this. It's, just, it's almost, and I always say this, Christians should be laughing like most of their day. Like seriously, that's where laughter should come from. When you realize who you are and what God said, you're just like, oh my gosh, what? are you kidding me? Like, have you seen me? Have you seen what I just said today? Can you believe what's going on here? Like this holy laugh, like are you, What? Yeah, you know, we're walking around, grumpy Christians, all those liberals, ruining the world, nobody recycles. Okay, I don't have time. But the good news is, is available to us. And what I love about um, New City Church is every, every week we, we have this visual um, of what, where justice and love meets. Where, where Jesus broke his body, shed his blood for, for our sins. He had to. He's a holy God. Sin had to be paid for some way, somehow. But the way he does it is not to crush us, but to be crushed in our place. And this is where justice and love meet. And this, every week we have a, a visual. We can experience it. We can break off the bread. On, uh, uh, and the way we do, we have two, two groups up in the front. Break off the bread and dip in the cup. And, and we get to experience his justice and his love and his grace simultaneously. You don't have to fix up yourself this morning. You just need to believe this morning. Just trust that what he's done is enough. That he's, everything that Paul just talked about in Romans 5 is enough. That he's reversed death and sin and hell and given us an opportunity for eternal life right here, right now, and forever. And so if you are a believer in Christ, please come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us this morning. Um, again, we break off a piece of the bread, we dip it in the cup, and, and I just encourage you, if there, if there are things in your life that you just feel like, I'm just not maybe experiencing the joy of Jesus right now in my life, maybe there's some things in your life you need to lay down. Maybe, maybe there's some sin in your life. Maybe there's, there's things that are just become more important than God and his kingdom, and it's kind of like the all-encompassing thing. Just come to God and lay that down before him. He hears you. He knows. He forgives. He's not shocked by anything you say right now. He's not going like, whoa, whoa, Trinity, can we talk? Did you hear what Bob just said? I had no idea. We've been outed by the cross. It's the greatest thing in the gospel. And we can come. It's a throne of grace. We can come and say, Father, I screwed up. 
So I would encourage you to do that. If you're not a believer in Christ, we'd, we'd ask that you'd, you'd stay seated as well, but we'd love for you to become one. And if you have uh, any questions about that or like to talk to me more about that, I'd love to pray with you, talk with you what that, that means. And we have some prayers in our city life you can think on, reflect on as well. We have elders as well. They'd love to, to chat with you about that and, uh, and know that we, we can really live only in two humanities. It's either in the humanity of Adam or the humanity of Christ. And we pray that we'd all choose Christ. So with that, let us pray. Father, what a um, deep, weighty, humbling, confusing text this morning. But also what a hopeful text. That while sin and death came into the world, righteousness and justification and salvation and hope and love and grace and forgiveness came through your Son. I pray that would thrill our hearts this morning. I pray it would thrill us and change us in such a way that, that we could only bow our knees and say, thank you, O oh God, that you did something we couldn't do for ourselves. I, I pray it would change us in such a way this morning that, that even as we go out to our work this week and we go out into our homes and our neighborhoods, wherever we find ourselves, God, that, that just grace and love would just ooze from our pores because of the grace and love that we've seen in Christ. That, that even this week, God, as we, we fall short of your ways, your commands, that instead of running from you, we would run to you and find forgiveness and mercy and grace because that's who you are. So God, help our unbelief, help us believe that, help us walk in that, God. Whatever we're struggling with this week, I pray you'd meet us by the Holy Spirit. We love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us.